Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. What are your memories of junior high school? Back in the day, that was before the concept of middle school. It was just grades 7 and 8. Amazing what one year difference makes. If you were there, chances are it was a bit of a tumultuous time for you. It sure was for me. What do you remember about the differences between being a 7th grader and an 8th grader? This was a time when relationships were being figured out as puberty was coming on. No longer did we have the same teacher for all subjects. Now you went from teacher to teacher. That meant navigating the halls, halls and lockers. Bringing back any memories yet? Halls were the places you just tried to survive between classes. There was no recess anymore, but there was P.E. Oh, P.E. You remember P.E., right? Coming into the seventh grade meant being low man on the status chart. That meant being mercilessly picked on, emotionally and physically, and even being beat on, now we call it bullied, by upperclassmen. This was mostly a guy thing. Well, for the girls, it was drama, overwhelming drama between themselves, and they often tried to pull the guys into it. The boys had to take sides, and that was a tightrope almost impossible to walk, especially when trying to be even a little bit successful in impressing any girl, regardless of which clique she was in. In addition, the older girls had fun playing with the naive hearts of the younger boys. The roller coaster of emotions was experienced on almost a daily basis. I think we knew we were being toyed with, but didn't seem to have the maturity to know what to do about it or even to care. As a quick aside, did you notice how much of this was repeated as a freshman in high school? I think some of this may be why the middle school concept came into being. It was hoping to mitigate some of the very obvious problems. These mostly were problems of maturity gaps and size of people gaps. Then, there were the huge numbers of students in junior high, and in my area, a low economic status. The two neighborhood boys I went to elementary school with for several years went to the same junior high school, but we were separated by class schedules and seldom saw each other. Thankfully, we did have each other when we got home. So, this was my experience in a large Midwestern city for a few weeks. Then, my dad took a position as pastor and Bible teacher in a very, very small town about a 100 miles away. The population of this town was about the size of the junior high school I was leaving. In some ways, this brought a whole new cultural dynamic. But, in other ways, the school dynamics were really too much the same. As you may know, or at least can imagine, there was a lot of variety of pain to be experienced in junior high school. Not sure I ever adapted to the system and culture. Maybe that wasn't even possible, as chaotic and uncertain as it was. It was a confusing, painful time of trying to make sense of senseless experiences. If nothing else, survival instincts kicked in and most of us made it. Sadly, there were those who didn't. Mixed into the school world was the church world. While there was some carryover of attitudes and behaviors, the young people at my church were a whole lot easier to be around. There was more acceptability between the ages and genders. Teasing was a lot better than physical bullying. There could even be real friendships. Growing up at home and in the church world, we were taught our version of right and wrong. When we did right, it was expected, unless it was under difficult circumstances, and then it could be considered courageous. 
When we did wrong, sometimes what seemed to be the slightest, even unintended wrong, we were expected to feel sorry for it, and punishment often resulted. I was one of those who got a lot of experience in this area as it related to obedience and disobedience. Then, there was dealing with other people. If we did something wrong to them, like calling them names or doing some gross teasing, gossiping about them, being angry toward them, and so on, well, those types of things were expected to be apologized for and sometimes promised to never do it again. That was the way things worked, so we all went along with it. Obviously, many times I didn't agree with how relationship problems were defined, processed, and the outcome determined. A big deal for me when not agreeing with how the whole thing was being described and handled was whether to really apologize or not. You've probably been there, right? Beyond that, making promises of never doing again whatever it was, well, that just seemed to be designed to make others feel better regardless of how I really felt. Most all of us have had these kind of experiences growing up. At some point, the idea of forgiveness becomes an increasingly important, but not necessarily much better understood. Do you remember when forgiveness became a functioning concept for you? Sometimes people asked me for forgiveness for something they said or did. That meant that they were sorry, and it was implied, if not stated, that they would not do it again, or say it again. Of course, most often it was me asking them for forgiveness. I wasn't always nice, usually not malicious, but not always nice. I could tease pretty harshly without letting up. In fact, my parents often told me I was overdoing it. Not sure why I felt compelled to tease so much, but I did enjoy it, and I was pretty good at it. Also, I could scheme what I called pranks that were too often not funny to others. Then there were the many times I was not acceptably respectful and appropriate with others. Henri, mischievous, might describe me accurately. Sometimes felt malicious toward others, but not generally. Most of the time, I was sorry. Here's what became interesting to me. I began comparing some of the harsh levels of interaction at junior high school with the adults at church. Perhaps my mind had been awakened to a reality in one place, and it awakened a similar reality in another. It was like I could be in two very different worlds and yet find some very uncomfortable things in common. It was unsettling. Somewhere in our maturation, it becomes quite obvious that people are people are people. For all of our differences, we still have some very fundamental things in common. We can be in totally different settings, different countries, unique cultures, unrelated languages, gaps in ages or hormonal effects of genders, vastly different professions and economic status, even different time periods of history. With all that significant variety of life exposure, there is still something in the core of humans that is recognizably common to each of us. I think the main thing we have in common is our basic human nature. Some aspects of our human nature seem to be pretty good. We love, care, have compassion, invent and build, face challenges, find adventure, enjoy good things and experiences, and some aspects of our human nature are not so good. Pride, selfishness, laziness, hatred, resentment, bitterness, envy, prejudice, abuse of all kinds, stubbornness, lying, stealing, murdering, wars, torturing, and so many other aspects in which we can see the existence of evil. What's disturbing and really hard to comprehend is that some people like doing evil things, especially to other people. That's our human nature, and pretty much every person can recognize it in every time and place. We can all recognize it in ourselves and each other. 
While our characteristics may vary in form and degree, we can go anywhere at any time in human history and find basic human nature at work. We may like to think that we are in a better place now than those in other less civilized times and place, but are we really? Don't you find that to be little consolation when humans, governed by a seriously flawed nature, now have the ability to literally annihilate life on Earth? Up until the nuclear age, no matter how devastatingly evil some despot was, people would survive as a human race. Now, we have advanced sufficiently in technology that we have the capability to literally wipe out humanity. And that line has been approached a few times in the nuclear age. Frankly, especially having lived through the Cold War, it's not unreasonable to think that, left to ourselves, someone in some way, someone or someones, will flip out at the wrong time with the available power to inflict incredibly mass suffering in the world. Facing the reality of our human nature, while hopeful in some respects, it's downright fearful in other respects. We don't like to face these depressing prospects, but that doesn't change the potential realities. So much for saving the macro world. How about looking at our micro world of relationships? The challenge of relationships can be pretty daunting. We generally know what we can do to each other to make ourselves feel good and have a decent relationship. And we generally know what we can do to make each other feel badly and destroy our relationship. However, we don't always know what will make another person just snap. It can be pretty easy to misread a person. We can't read each other's minds. We don't always understand their life context. And different personalities sometimes just find it hard to relate to each other. And it can be pretty easy to make assumptions that aren't accurate. Email, texting, and social media brings a whole new dimension to relationships. You have probably experienced or seen something like this on Facebook. A person who unexpectedly had lost a longtime loved one a couple of years earlier and was struggling to make sense of life expressed pain from feeling added pressures to be aligned with the new social priorities that she felt abused by. Responses to her posts would include a variety of agreement and disagreement. People that were longtime friends and had walked faithfully with her through huge struggles make somewhat passionate disagreeing comments not realizing that what they had said and how they had said it were insensitive to the tension that she was experiencing resulting in additional pain. Hurt feelings and being unfriended would follow. Why are relationships so hard, so often, even among those who love each other? Human nature can make things arduous. Here's what we do know. If we are to develop and maintain relationships, we have to incorporate forgiveness as an available action. You know how important that is when someone asks you to forgive them. In some ways, it may seem even more important than when we seek the forgiveness of another. Now, let's think about this in a spiritual context. If that is true for us in relationship with each other, how much more true would this be in relationship with a perfect God? If we believe in a perfect God who has caused us to come into existence with the purpose of having a meaningful, dynamic, loving relationship with us, then we have some things to consider. If we aren't perfect, isn't it likely that we have a relationship with him that is less than perfect? Actually, that's a definite. Only if we are perfect would it be possible to have a perfect relationship with God. So now the question is, is it at all possible to come into a perfect relationship with God? If so, what would that look like? Well, forgiveness would have to be a key element. Just like our desire to continue a loving relationship with another requires forgiveness. Does God have anything for which he needs to ask our forgiveness? Nothing comes to my mind at the moment. 
There have been many times I felt like blaming him for things happening that I didn't think were good, just, or right, but in reality, it really was our broken world that is properly blamed. So, we know that in our desired relationship with God, if anyone needs to ask for forgiveness, it would be us. So, what is there about us that requires God's forgiveness? What standard should be used to determine what needs to be forgiven? Do we go by His standard, or can we each use one of ours? Could our standard be acceptable? Can we negotiate a compromise? Oh, wait, God's standard is perfection, and we don't even know how to define that. Okay, so what are we to be sorry for when using God's standard? Are we sorry for deeds we have done, thoughts, attitudes? Are we trying to escape consequences? In our perfection, do we feel empty, inconsequential, without meaning and purpose, hopeless, lonely deep inside our souls, faking it and not making it? Do we have a sense that we are incomplete, not whole, helpless? For me, it boils down to that I realize that I am a mess without a relationship with God. Truly a hopeless, helpless mess. I am so imperfect in so many ways. I have been unright, or if you prefer Christian wording, unrighteous, in so many of my attitudes and behaviors. Well, actually, it doesn't really matter how many. Considering I was born with flaws, I was already disconnected from God from the ability to have a relationship with a perfect God. And then, there is death. A finality without God and His future can't help but reduce my significance and worth. Because of my defective human nature, I am programmed from birth to be less than perfect. It is who I was in the very core of me from the very beginning. You can look for the good all you want, and some will be found, but the bad is part of who I was. I didn't have to be taught bad stuff. It came naturally. Even when being taught what was bad, so it could be avoided, I still did bad. Sometimes I didn't even want to do bad, but ended up doing it anyway. Not that it makes any difference, but I know I'm not alone. You and everyone you know, and don't know for that matter, we all have the same imperfect, broken, irreversible human nature that's beyond repair. And its natural conclusion is death. Do you remember the 1969 haunting song by Peggy Lee called, Is That All There Is? Here are the lyrics toward the end of that song. I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Or, if you're more into country music, maybe you'll have heard Willie Nelson's 1950s song of self-judgment. Turn out the lights. The party's over. Death. The inescapable conclusion to a life lived. No matter how well we think it was lived, it wasn't good enough to escape death. This shouldn't be too hard to grasp. We need forgiveness from God if we want more out of this life and hope for the next. If forgiveness is to have a life-changing impact, death has to be conquered. In God's economy, that means a perfect person would have to pay for the consequences for all those who are imperfect. That price is death, and don't miss this, it is imperfection which must die. This may seem harsh, but it is reasonable. Someone perfect dying instead of me has so much more meaning because that death is undeserved. What incredible love must be at work. How greatly are we desired. How God longs to walk with us in loving relationship. While the love of someone who is perfect causes them to die for me and my imperfection is a very reasonable thing, it is incomplete. Death itself must be conquered. 
When that happens, eternal life becomes available. This is called resurrection. Resurrection doesn't return to life the old, used, former, imperfect nature intact. Instead, thankfully, the spiritually resurrected person, while retaining the unique qualities of body and soul that make each of us distinctive, is given the spirit and heart of the perfect one who died to make resurrection possible. Another title for this episode could have been, Forgiveness for What? Hopefully you can see why what we do or don't do isn't really the issue. It's who we are. Through God's gracious love and complete forgiveness, who we are can die spiritually and be spiritually buried. Jesus himself invites us to die to the old nature and be spiritually resurrected with a new heart and spirit. This allows God to bring us into a loving relationship with him forever. You have heard of the word gospel. It means good news. What better news for us can there be? Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process together, please know your thoughts and or questions are welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.